so glad to be up here because I have a message for you. God has planted something on my heart. First, I want to tell you a story. I always tell stories. My first time being able to preach, I was in a board meeting at another church, and the pastor came up to me and said, hey, we need someone to preach for the elders, the senior group. And I said, what, me? Well, first of all, I'm local licensed. You want me to? Yeah, we want you, right? And so I said, okay, cool. But I didn't know what I was going to do, and I was so nervous, and I was like, ah, ah I'm new at this. I'm going to preach. Like, what am I going to do? And I got up there in front of him, and I remember it was, it was on Timothy, and I got the pastor up there with me because he had to come and make me more nervous, you know what I mean? And so I got him up there with me, and we were talking about running the race of life, and I was talking about an old man who had been beat up and run down by life, and I used him as my example, which is probably not the best way to start your preaching career, by using the senior pastor as your example of the old guy who's old and beat up running the race of life. But I remember it was all about encouragement because that old guy running the race of life, at the end of the race, right when he got to the end, he'd turn around and he came back to that young guy who was struggling. And he encouraged him and he brought him along. And so it was all about encouragement. In the same way, when I preached to those older crowd, to those senior group, after I preached, they would come up to me afterwards and they'd be like, well, you landed the plane too soon. Or you did this, or you did that, right? And they'd give me little tips, and they'd give me encouragements, and they'd try to build me up. And they were always so appreciative of what I was doing, and I was probably doing a horrible job, but they loved it. And they were so enjoyed by it, and so welcoming of this young 20-something pastor coming up there, not even pastor, local licensed minister. They just had such joy pouring into my life, they had a huge influence on me, you see. Much like you guys, when a couple, like a month ago, when I first preached here, a lot of people after I preached came up to me the day of, but then, I'm used to that, by the way, but then a week later, and then three weeks later, people still coming up to me like, hey, when you said, now I'm never, whoa. I'll watch what I'm saying because I'm online, but I've never encountered that. This is new to me. You guys were having an influence on my life. And so I have this question. Did you know that you're an influence? Do you know that you have a tremendous amount of influence on others? Not just the pastors in the church, right? Not just Paul and I. Although we know we have a tremendous amount of influence because we're held to a higher standard. But did you know you also have a tremendous amount of influence on the people you come into contact with? I've told my story. You've heard it. You're inspired by it. It's the story of people. If you listen to the story, it's the story of people coming into my life, just living for Christ, pouring their life into my life. People encouraging me, people loving on me, people praying for me. They had a huge influence on, on my decision to accept Christ. We all have an influence. That's, that's good. It's bad, right? Sometimes our influence is not, eh, we should put that off to the side. Bad influence, right? 
You know, we all leave an impression on this life. Me and Gallo were just talking about it out in the foyer, like at our funeral, and they're doing the memorial. What are they going to say about us? Because everyone's going to say something. Usually it's good things, but are they going to want to say something about us? We're all going to leave an impression, positive or negative. It's true. There's no escaping this reality. Whether you realize it or not, you are influencing others. You are making a significant impact on the people around you. By the way, you handle your emotions, right? How you, how you handle your emotions to the way you fulfill your promises, your vows, the way you keep them or don't keep them, to the way you manage information that's thrown at you daily, just left and right, because let's be honest, it is. As we're going, information's just constantly bombarding us, and we have to make in, in decisions on the fly. To the ways you manage your money. the things you invest your time and energy in. And we always think that our influence is in the big decisions, right? That people are watching the big decisions and they see the big decisions that we're making and, and oh, oh, I see the choice that he made there. It was a big choice to make and that was a pressure situation. But a lot of times it's in the small things, the little things that we don't pay attention to, right? The things that we think are insignificant but really have significant ripple effects on everyone around us. Listen to what Paul says for us in 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. He says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of your own conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because I, uh, of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Well, there it is right there. Do not cause another to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. You see, as Christians, as believers, we have many freedoms that are found in Jesus Christ, right? We, we get saved and we're like, oh, you're free. Uh, he set us free, so we have lots of freedoms. We can stand on the promises of God and the, and the things that he's given us and the things that he said, this is yours, these are your benefits. You're now a son and daughter of the one true king. You're adopted into the very family of God. You've inherited all of it. Your past is gone. This is all new, right? It's all yours. Be free. Go live freely. However, nowhere in God's word... Is, as far as I know, nowhere in God's word 
does he tell us that we are the center of the universe? And nowhere does it say that our freedoms should cause others to stumble. Mm. You see, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is not constructive. Not everything builds up. Let me give you a few examples, right? I don't think I would stumble if I walked into another church and they were having communion and they had a little glass of wine. I don't think I would stumble, but many would. Many would. So here at the Church of the Nazarene, we use some kind of juice. We don't use wine. And there's many reasons for that, and we'll go over those. But our stance is that it might be permissible, but it's not beneficial. It doesn't help anyone. It might actually cause someone to stumble. I, I, I don't think I would set a table and have lots of meats and vegetables and these, these different kinds of, like, oh, man, filet mignon just chopped up right there, and, and then invite a vegetarian over. I could do that. It's permissible. It's not beneficial. I don't think they would stay very long. They'd be, oh, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> this is a restricted diet. They don't, they can't eat that. And, and Paul had to navigate this problem between permissible and practical, you see. Because the people he was writing to dealt with idol worship. And so he's dealing with idol worship here, specifically the eating of food, specifically for idol worship. And he tells them if the food sacrificed to the idols should not be eaten in, in the temple of foreign gods. You, if you go into the temple and they're, they're, they're cutting up the meat and they're doing we're idol worship and stuff, and then you eat the meat, you shouldn't do it. But if you went and, and you saw that same meat that was sacrificed to the gods in the temple and they were selling it in the marketplace and you took it home and you cooked it up, go ahead and eat it. It's cool. It's meat. <laughs> you're not worshiping other gods at that point. You're eating a meal. So you see, he's saying it's an attitude of the heart. It's the reason behind it. If you're, if you're not convicted by the Lord and you're not doing it for the wrong reason, you can freely enjoy that meat. Go ahead, eat it. It's good. Even if the butcher had wrong motives, go ahead. You know, that's on him. You don't, need, don't worry about that. Eat your food. Feed your family. But if you're convicted by it, if, you, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you feel so heavy about it, that maybe, oh, I don't know if I should eat this meat, then don't do it. It's okay. That's why he says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. And so I should say that the exercise of one's freedom should be governed by whether it will bring glory to God. The exercise of one's freedom, the exercise of everything that you do, every decision you make, every choice that you're like, okay, should I eat this bread or should I not eat this bread? Is it going to bring glory to God? Because anything you do to the glory of God is an act of worship. We should ask ourselves whether it will build up the church, whether it will encourage the unsaved to receive Christ, 
I'm about to do something, and it feels like a moment that I have a choice, right? Is he going to build up the church? Is he going to bring the unsaved to Christ? Is this going to impact someone's life? Is he going to glorify God? Is what I'm about to do going to glorify God? Because we should glorify God with everything we do. We should build up the church, the people of God, and we should be encouraging the unsaved to get saved. That's every aspect of our life. When we wake up in the morning, okay, how am I going to live for God today? How is God going to use me today? In what ways am I going to... And so those little things that we think are just little moments that we just have this moment where, oh, whether I'm going to take my coworker to lunch or not take my coworker to lunch, right? Little decisions. Is God going to use me in some way in this? You need to understand that your freedom in Christ is an issue of maturing in Christ. It's about growing in our faith, realizing that God is all around, and he's in, and he's inside, and he's here now, and he's there when we leave, and he's not just here at the church, right? He's out there too. He's in your car when you're driving. He's in your car when you cut off that guy because he was going too slow. He's in everything. He knows everything. Romans 14, 1 through 3 says this, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. Oh, what is it? There's certain things that you know that the Bible isn't really clear about. It doesn't specifically say, don't do this. Did you know that we argue over, oh, well, even though it doesn't say we should do this, we shouldn't, or we should, or we get on both sides of it, and we start to argue with each other, and that grumbling, like, they were getting to argue over me. <laughs> so here it is in Romans 14, different people. One, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on the man who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. The early church struggled with these freedoms. Because there was also the law, right? The law says that we should have like different bats for goat's milk than we have the other ones and since you know those ones are over there and they might get mixed up so we should move into a different room and then we should have this and that and that you can't eat off of this and this and that over there has to be over there you have to eat off of that one you can't eat off of that. you see how it got all convoluted and it's like oh what which law do i follow and they knew all the laws and they were like we can't eat this we can't do this we can't do this and you're doing that <gasps> oh my And there's nothing new under the sun because we still do it today. We have different traditions in this church. And if we went to another church, they would do things differently. And we'd be like, well, that's different. I wonder why I, I don't really like... Mm, hmm. One example is I had to get used to the Apostles' Creed. That's something that's unique to this church. They say the Apostles' Creed every morning when they come to church. In another church, they, they, did, they did 
where they just put a verse up there and they said the verse every, every week. They said, let's say this verse together, Stan, and we'll read the verse together, right? And so we did that all the time, and the, the traditions are different. Why are we grumbling over the different traditions, right? Hmm. And so here, in this particular issue, they're still thinking about dietary restrictions or, or keeping the Sabbath. Like, ooh, ah, you're not taking Sunday off. You didn't, you didn't take complete Sunday off. You, you go to work after church? <gasps> but Sunday's the Sabbath. Okay, I want to be real with you. Just for a moment, just on that topic. Let's just talk about that Sabbath topic. I know for a lot of you, Sunday is your Sabbath. It's your day off. You come to church, you relax, and you go after, and you have a meal with the family, and then you just rest all day, maybe go swimming in the swimming pool, watch the football games. Sunday's your Sabbath, right? You don't do anything on the Sabbath, right? For most pastors, it's not theirs. Did you know someone's got to preach every Sunday morning? Most pastors work 49 to 50 Sundays a year. And they could, if they wanted, leave church, go home, and mow their lawn. <laughs> Do their hedges. Work on their car. And for some, it would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. The pastor's working on the Sabbath. Did you see him mowing his lawn? <laughs> It's completely permissible. However, some would stumble because of it. They'd be like, no, 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 no. You were mowing your lawn on the Sabbath. You get caught up in, with the man-made rules, the man-made restrictions. Tradition says one thing, but in reality, we can take a Sabbath any day of the week. Ooh, I can tell you, I already know Pastor Sabbath because he won't answer his phone on a Monday. Will not answer. I can send him a text. I'll get an answer on Tuesday. I don't even know if he has his phone with him. I'm sure it's in a drawer somewhere and he just locks it in there. Or maybe it's in Susan's purse. I don't know. I don't know where his phone is at, but I know that he does not answer it. It's not going to get answered on a Monday. It's okay. You could take a Sabbath on a Tuesday. Did you know that? You could take a Sabbath on a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday. One day a week, just rest. No matter what day it is. I rest on Thursdays, right? I go and have family time, right? And then after that, I come and play pickleball, which is fun, not work. I'm not good at it. I always lose. Richard's snickering over here. He throws these things that look like curveballs at me coming off. I don't know how they do that with a paddle, but it's fun. God is completely okay with it. He's fine with it. Do not stumble over stuff like that. The reality is this. Many have the belief that Sunday is a day of rest, a day to go to church and spend the time with other people that they care about. Then they're going to go out to these restaurants. But guess what? There's someone working at the restaurant that you're going to. And I've never in my life heard anyone from church go to the restaurant and be like, oh, you're working on the Sabbath. No, they want their meal. 
There's people there that have to serve you. There's people there that have to clean up after you. There's people there that care for you. To them, it's not a Sabbath. It is a work day. Perhaps their Sabbath is another day. You know what I mean? Well, at one point, I was working six days a week and I had one day off. I had just Sunday. So I'd come, I'd preach the sermon in the morning, and then the rest of the day, you couldn't hear from me. So I know I was a little bit, like, people even now are like, wait, that's not a true Sabbath. You were working in the morning. Don't get hung up on that. Someone had to preach. Part of maturing as a Christian is realizing that people will be watching your actions, though. I want you to realize that. You do have certain freedoms in Christ, right? But part of maturing as a Christian is realizing that people will be watching your actions and seeing if they line up with the teachings of Christ. Because even the atheist knows the teachings of Christ, right? They're like, oh, you follow God? And matter of fact, they probably know him better than you do. And they'll point him out to you. You see, I had to experience some things to truly grasp this for myself. I had to go through some experiences, some growing, and that's what maturity is, right? We go through things to get to where we're better and we're built up, right? And so I had a little story. I was at a friend's house. Me and my wife went over there because they were in town. They live in another place. Their mom was like, hey, have your friends over. So we were over at a friend's house, and we were, we were playing, like, little games, and there was, like, train carts, and there was, like, it was, like, Magic the Gathering stuff. I don't, eh, we figure it out, right? Uh, and so I'm learning these different games and doing these different things. We're having a good time. Mom comes in, and she hands a glass of wine to everyone there because... It's a good time. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, it's permissible, whatever. The Bible doesn't say, as long as I just don't get drunk, right? The Bible doesn't say anything else, right? So I'm sipping my wine and she's having conversations. She's like, oh, my son says that you're a pastor or you're training to be a pastor. Yeah, I am. And she's like, oh, well, let me tell you about my experiences with church. I'm over here at so-and-so church, and they have a great AA meeting, and that's what brought me in because I, I grew up alcoholic, and so I'm over here, over here, and, the, and, and I go to the church, and, and I'm thinking to myself at that moment, Ryan, you are representing God. You're having a glass of wine with an alcoholic. I was literally telling this lady who struggles with alcohol that it's okay. I was sitting there as a minister of the gospel of Christ having a glass of wine with an alcoholic. Oh, man. She should have been nowhere near the alcohol. She shouldn't have even had it in her house. It could consume her life. She can go off the rails. She can just fall apart. Some would say it's permissible to have a glass of wine at dinner. In what way is it beneficial? In what way is it constructive? In what way does it build people up? You see, believers and non-believers love to watch the lives of others, ready to poke holes 
Oh, you did this in their faith because their life is going off the rails and they want it to be okay, right? And if you're in this with me and I can poke holes in your faith, then I feel okay about where I am. So they can make excuses for the way they live. They look at you. They're like, oh, well, it's not so bad that I'm an alcoholic because look, pastor's here having a drink with me. Now, i got to say, I, I'm pretty sure that a glass of alcohol is not going to condemn me to hell. But that's not the point, is it? What if my actions cause someone else to stumble? What if in saying, well, I want this, this is okay for me, I cause someone else to lose themselves entirely, and it condemns them to hell? Do you know i got to sit before God at the end and, and, and his Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then we're all going to be judged. And then I got to stand before him and give an account for. Wait a minute. It has eternal consequences. And the truth is, we simply don't know. We simply do not know. I heard a story of a pastor who was young and, and the, the, the friends, they all sit around. They were like, oh, we'll just have a drink together. And the pastor was fine. He had his drink. He was fine. But one of his friends lost his life completely to alcohol. And that pastor, I remember him telling me because he still didn't know if the guy made his we got to give account for that. Our actions have ripple effects into the lives of the people around us. Man, think about that. Just for a second. Matthew 5, 16 says this, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light, let the Holy Spirit of God reside in you and flow out into the lives of the people around you in everything you do. That they may see your good works. Not that your good works are the roots of salvation at all. They're an outpouring of what's going in, the Holy Spirit, right? And so if the Holy Spirit's going in, the fruits of the Spirit should be going out, right? Love, peace, kindness, forbearance, forgiveness. How many times have we been... I'll never forgive them. People are listening when you say that. They know what you mean when you say that. I'll never forgive them. The heart of unforgiveness is, is, is it's like a jail cell. Your Christ has forgiven you... Christ loved you right where you were at. In your junk. In my junk, Christ came and he forgave me. He loved me. He looked at me despite everything that I had done and said, I forgive you. 
Who am I to look at my brother and be like, I'll never forgive you. And the world sees it. The world sees our attitudes, our dispositions. And a lot of times, you'll hear it said, oh, that doesn't sound too Christian-like. <laughs> Matter of fact, sometimes I'll get a little, I get, I mean, full admission here, full disclosure, I'll get a little in the car, and my wife will be like, now, pastor. Well, you're right. Okay, cool. <laughs> right? It's a simple question. Are you willing and determined that you will bring honor and glory to God with everything you do in your life? And when I say everything, I mean Everything. That means that everything you do in your life is done to your best ability and with others in mind. How is this going to affect the rest of the people that are around me? You have a ton of influence, don't you? So I'll say this, and it's kind of like a, like a little jumping off point, but it's kind of like, you should remember this part. When you're making decisions, when you're making choices, just remember this. If it cannot be done to the glory of God, you can be sure it is outside the will of God. There it is. If it can't be done to the glory of God, if what you're about to do cannot be done for the glory of God, oh, it's outside his will. Don't do it. But there are some application points here, right? When we think about that sentence, if it cannot be done to the glory of God, you can be sure it's outside the will of God. So there are some application points before you do anything, right? Some questions you can ask yourself, right? Will it violate the teachings of the Bible? I mean, there are some places in the Bible that it's not a gray area. It's black and white. It is pretty woo, clear, right? And if it's going to violate a known law of God, don't do it. That one's simple, right? Don't do it. The Bible says don't do it. Don't do it. God's probably trying to protect you from something. He knows what's best because he, you know, he created you. If you are convicted by the Spirit of God, don't do it. You're convinced by the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God has convinced you, right? We can change that word convicted to convince. If the, if the Spirit of God has convinced you that something you're about to do, for whatever reason, and you don't know the reason, just doesn't feel right, don't do it. Second thing, ready? Could it cause someone to stumble? Because then there's the gray areas of life, Right? Uh, the Bible's not too clear on this. It could be. Could it cause someone to stumble? Will something I do affect someone else's walk with God? If you come to the answer that, yeah, maybe, don't do it. And then there's the third one. It's kind of tough, it's kind of different. Does what I do, does what I'm about to do, stop the will of God in my life? Well, what do you mean by that? What do you, how do I know? 
I gotta say, sometimes we settle for less because we are impatient and we run ahead. <laughs> we're unwilling to wait for God. Like we've been praying for his answer, but we don't, we, I, I'm just gonna run ahead. I'm just gonna go do it on my own. I'm just gonna get this done. And we settle for less than what God has for our lives because we want to get into ourselves and do what we want to do. Because we want it now. And we're in an impatient culture, aren't we? We got fast food. We got grocery stores that have food that you can pop into a microwave. It's fast. I don't have to cook anything. It's already cooked for me. God is doing something in your life. Don't run up ahead of him. Is what you're going to do going to stop God's will from happening in your life? And then the last question. Can and would God bless what I'm about to do? Can God bless what I'm about to do? Would he bless what I'm about to do? You see, sometimes even things that are permissible don't need to be done. 